tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 15. Daniel chapter number 3 and verse number 15. And what a wonderful night to be with God's people in God's house. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God. And, and we trust and pray that the word of God would be powerful and mighty in our hearts and in our lives. The word of God is quick and powerful. Empower me. Uh, that won't happen apart from this book and the spirit of God taking the Bible and doing his work in our hearts and in our lives. And uh, I, I know sometimes, well, it's a great song, but sometimes we just feel so powerless, don't we? And, and, and forget about the world and forget about it. We just look at our own miserable lives and think how powerless we are to, to even do anything seemingly for the Lord. And, and in our flesh, the truth is there dwelleth no good thing. And I know we're supposed to pat ourselves on the back and tell us how awesome we are, but uh, the truth of the matter is we're powerless and helpless and hopeless. But the good news is there is someone who's great and mighty. And if I try to do the work, it won't get done. But if Jesus works through you and through me, we're able to see great and mighty works done for him. God bless you tonight. You have your Bible to Daniel chapter number three. And, and of course, this is a story for the ages. The Bible tells us Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the ruler, has decided to go to the plains of Dura, and there he is going to build an image to his religion, almost 100 feet tall, made of gold. I mean, it must have been an incredible thing to see, and, and now it comes time for the worship service to this pagan religion, and anybody who is anybody who is there, law enforcement is there, the military is there, of course the politicians are there, and, and Nebuchadnezzar gives the order. The emperor of the world says that when the praise band plays, everybody is to bow their heads to the ground, and they are to worship towards this image, this altar, this idol that I have built. Well, you know the story, the praise band plays and everybody bows. And, and please don't misunderstand, sometimes we look at this through American eyes, you know, kind of like you and I are bowing our head to, to pray for the meal. Not exactly, it's more like the Muslim idea, where come Friday at noon, they are on their face, they're prostrate. When the Bible says they bow down, well, their heads are on the ground, they're lying prostrate. It is not like those three boys said, maybe nobody will notice if we don't. It is not like everybody else gave it one of those and those boys didn't. There was absolutely no chance but that everybody would know. And now three boys stand up straight and tall and they're ushered in before Nebuchadnezzar, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They asked me to tell you to please get their names right. Could we get this right, folks? No, they really didn't. I'm not that old. But, you know, they would really appreciate this tonight. And I know the easy thing is to call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we've kind of heard that in our Sunday school classes and the stories all of our lives. But those are not their real names. You know, we don't talk about Belteshazzar in the den of lions, do we? We get Daniel right. Could we get these boys right? Their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When they were kidnapped from Jerusalem and brought to a pagan land where they worshipped idols and not Jehovah, they looked at these boys and says, we don't like your names. They all honor Jehovah and Jehovah's not God around here. So they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would appreciate it tonight if we got their names right. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stand up straight. We are not going to bow down before a, a golden image. We are not going to bow down to a graven idol made with men's hands. And that's when they bring them in before an angry and a raging and a furious Nebuchadnezzar.
If you're able physically tonight, could I invite you to stand with me as we go to Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 15. And, and you can almost see this king, he is fuming. And he says, you know, boys, because I'm such a good guy, I'm going to give you one more chance. And so he said, if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And this becomes the big thing, the big thing in Daniel 3. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar's about ready to learn. Well, in verse number 17, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah speak one time in the Bible. This is the only time right here. And we don't even know which one of them does the talking. But what I'll tell you is whoever did the talking, my, you get to talk one time in the Bible, the guy hit a grand slam. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the order comes at the end of 19. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times times more than it was wont to be heated. Father, help us as we go to the words of our God tonight. Would you speak to men, to ladies, Lord, perhaps some young person in this room. It's time for them to stand up for Jesus and be counted for Christ. Lord, I pray and I ask that our hearts would be tender and you know how this world can distract us and disturb us from good choices. So I pray that tonight, for these next moments, our minds and our thinking would be centered on the Bible. May we allow the Spirit of God to do what He wants to do in our hearts. And then for someone who's not saved, what a night to be born again. Help us now in the great name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. In his rage and in his fury, the Bible tells us Nebuchadnezzar said, it's going to be one seven times hotter. He said, you stoke that fire and you shake those bellows and, and you make those flames reach to the sky seven times hotter than it's supposed to be heated. You know, that furnace was made out of adobe. It was pretty much a massive box. There would be a hole, a huge hole in the top of the thing and that's where they would throw in the ore or the gold or whatever they were smelting. And, and then on the side, there would be a door. They would open that door and shovel in the coals or, or perhaps the wood, whatever they were burning, the firewood. I got to tell you, to get that thing seven times hotter, you can almost imagine the billowing clouds of black smoke as they are rising from the furnace seven times hotter. I mean, it must have been brutal to start with, but now you can imagine the flames are just jumping right out of the thing. I got to tell you, it must have been fearful just to look at that burning, fiery furnace. And the challenge has been issued. You know, in the Word of God, and it is true in our day as well, when arrogant humans begin begin to challenge God, all of a sudden, all the other stories become secondary, don't they? And we can find a lot of storylines in Daniel chapter 3 and a lot of great ones, a lot of wonderful things to preach about, a, a lot of examples, some great testimonies. But every time a human challenges Almighty God, this becomes the number one story. And what we have here is an arrogant man named Nebuchadnezzar, a man who is full of pride. He will spend his life learning 
learning the hard way that God is able to abase those who are full of pride. And now one more time, and in his pride and in his arrogance, I, we can almost see him shake his fist up at heaven. I don't care who your God is. I don't care what his name is. There is no God on earth that can stand against me. There is no God on earth that can stand against my fire. I mean, you read Daniel chapter 3, and with Nebuchadnezzar, it is a big old D-Y-K-W-I-A. That would be Google for do you know who I am? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was awfully impressed with himself. Don't you know who you're dealing with? Well, boys, I'm going to give you one more shot. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to play that praise band. And when they play, if you fall down and worship my idol, everything is well. But if not, then you boys literally now are toast. Well, they've already known the answer, don't they? You know, they don't have to wonder. They don't have to think. They don't have to pray about it. They don't have to pull a Balaam and see if the Lord's got something extra. The Lord had already dealt with this, hadn't he? He already said back in Exodus, Thou shalt not bow down to them nor serve them. The word of God and the great commandment for Israel is that they had one God, the living God of heaven. They are not to worship a graven image. They are not to bow down to an idol. These boys don't need a clarification. These boys don't need some exception rule. They already know what God has said. And it doesn't matter how hot the fire is. It doesn't matter how high the flames reach. It doesn't matter how black the those clouds of smoke may be. None of those things matter now because those boys got it right the first time. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Well, the only thing hotter perhaps than that burning fiery furnace would have been Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so the Bible tells us in verse number 20 that because he is full of fury now and because he is full of rage, the Bible tells us he is so angry it is written all over his face. Now he is going to make a, a series of disastrous choices. I mean, you want one of those side sermons in Daniel chapter 3, and that would be that an angry man does a lot of dumb things. And Nebuchadnezzar's about ready to do some things he's going to regret. You know, the truth of the matter is the fire doesn't have to be one seven times hotter. That word one is just how they said it back then. Seven times hotter, same thing. It didn't have to be. The truth of the matter is that a fire at one setting or a fire seven times hotter, the boys were going to die in the fire either way. If they had thrown those boys into a fire that wasn't quite as hot, well, they would have a more torturous death. Perhaps they wouldn't die instantly. But when that fire is seven times hotter, even the soldiers that get close to that burning furnace, why, they're going to be licked up in the flames and they're going to die. He is going to make some mistake in his burning rage and he's going to pay a price for it. In verse number 20, he, Nebuchadnezzar, commanded his most mighty men that were in his army. Well, he didn't have to do that either, did he? He is so angry, he is so upset, he's not thinking. And in his fury and in his rage, he says, yeah, you normal guys won't do. The truth of the matter is, you know, some Girl Scouts could have thrown them in the fire. Even worse than that, Boy Scouts could have done it. You know, I got to tell you, anybody could have done this. I, I mean, these boys are bound. These boys are tied. There's nowhere to go. Anybody could have thrown them into the fire. Son, you don't have to lose your best soldiers over this. You don't need to lose your very best guard over this. But when an angry man is raging, none of those things matter, does it? He commanded his most mighty men that were his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. 
bitterness. Why, what a man of rage. What a man of anger. He is as red hot as the fire is. And he says, I don't care about it. Get it seven times hotter. Hell, man, we don't even know if that furnace can do such a thing. And now with that thing red hot and the flames and the smoke billowing to the sky, he says, you get, those, get my best soldiers here and use those men to throw them into the fire. In verse number 21, the Lord of God says, Then these men were bound in their coats, that would be their outer garments, their hosen, their inner garments, and their hats. They probably wore turbans. And the other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Well, one more time, the anger of Nebuchadnezzar is a foolish thing. You know, in Bible times, we remember when Jesus was on the cross, they took his robe, and, and normally, however many soldiers were there, they would cut up a robe into pieces of garments, and, and the pieces of cloth would be distributed to the soldiers. The executors were the ones that got the goods. Well, in this case, they didn't even bother. I mean, the boys got their turbans on, they got their coats on, they got their undergarments on, and, and nobody stops to steal them. Normally, they would take those things because they were valuable. You've got three hats, you've got three sets of clothes, you've got three suits. I mean, uh, uh, the men's warehouse would be happy with this, but no, no, there's no time. There's no, there's no stopping them. We're not going to take their hats. We're not going to take anything. You tied their hands. And, and was there ever an exercise in futility? They take those ropes and bind their hands, perhaps their feet. And, and now the Bible tells us the best of soldiers are going to cast them into this burning, fiery furnace. And in verse 22, because the king's commandment was urgent. So it is not only severe, the Bible tells us now it is urgent. Urgent meaning right now, right now. We're going to deal this right now, right here, right now. We're not waiting 10 minutes. Because it had to be right now, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a fool. Hey, you realize you're paying a real big price here, sir. Because of your rage and because of your anger, more than that, because of your selfishness, because of your arrogance, because you believe you're above God and greater than God, and because you have made graven images and idols and you are worshiping them, in your rage and in your fury, look what you have done. Why, you have disgraced yourself. You have embarrassed your own name. There are some wonderful soldiers, your best men. They're not going home for dinner tonight because you murdered them in your anger. Why, anybody could have gotten near that fire and thrown them in but no no the king in his rage and in his fury said my way and it's got to be right now and last scene those boys no doubt were tossed into the top of that furnace well you can just imagine now I, I, I mean you know when somebody flies off the handle everybody kind of just sets back and says you know, let the guy do it by himself but when it's a big politician or it's somebody who's famous, you know, I mean, when they get in such an argument and they lose their temper and they lose control and they go off into a rage, you know, it's one thing when it's somebody that's on your equal footing. But when the king or the emperor of the world is going off into a rage, you want to get as far away from him as you can. And now the Bible tells us in verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, this massive furnace. When it says they fell down, tells us they threw them in the top. It was such a huge furnace. It had to be to build an image 100 feet high close to it. It had to be massive because there was room for four men to walk around inside. I mean, such an image, such, an, uh, such a, a, a furnace is almost beyond our comprehension. And the Bible tells us now the fire had been built, the rage had been settled, 
those boys, they were done. Well, in verse number 24, you can almost imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and he, he's going to walk over to the fire. No doubt it's cooled down a little bit now. And he says, I'm just going to take a look inside and maybe we'll find a bone, you know. Maybe I'll find a tooth. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that up on the wall and I'll let everybody know that when you defy me, that is what happens to you. And can't you just imagine the picture as he's walking over there in his arrogance? You know, you people better get the lesson now. And, and, and he probably comes to the side door where they'd shovel in the coal or the wood. And, and he opens up the door and he takes a look inside. And this is when we get to heaven. I hope we go to the library. And there's a little photo gallery called The Look on Their Faces. <laughs> Boy, this one would be a classic, wouldn't it? the look on their faces. Wouldn't you just love to see it? How about Potiphar's wife, you know? And her hubby comes home for lunch one day and hey, she's got the soup. She's pouring the soup, you know, and the falafels or whatever they're eating. And, and, and they're just kind of sitting there and, well, what's the latest scuttle? But you know what happened today, hubby? And, and he says, oh, you're never going to believe it. We got a brand new prime minister, a brand new number two guy right under the king. And Potiphar's wife says, oh, oh, who might that be? You're not going to believe it. You might remember him. He used to work around here. His name was Joseph. Wouldn't you just love to see the look on her face? How about the look on David's face? You know, if he spent a whole year with a broom using it like nobody ever has, covering up every possibility, covering up every clue, a year later he's thinking nobody knows, nobody knows. And one day he's sitting on the throne and all of a sudden he looks up and uh-oh, Nathan the prophet showed up. When David saw Nathan, wouldn't you love to see the look on his face? You know, it had to be two people in the kingdom. David says, no, thank you. One would be Nathan, and the other one would be uh, his buddy, the captain himself, Captain Joab. I mean, you got to know anybody else is fine. And when he looked up and saw Nathan, the look on David's face must have been priceless. How about the look on Haman's face? Wouldn't that one have been a beautiful thing? I would like just to see that. I wouldn't even need a video. Just see the picture on their face. When Haman's thinking, you know, they're going to praise me and the king is going to exalt me and I'm going to ride through the town and they're going to blow the trumpets for me. And oh, by the way, would you do all of those things for the guy who happens to be your worst enemy, Mordecai? The look on Haman's face, a look must have been worth a million words. I got to tell you, we've got another one for the photo gallery now. And when Nebuchadnezzar opens that door and he looks inside, the look on his face must have been priceless. And all of a sudden, the arrogance is gone. And all of a sudden, the rage is gone. And he takes a look inside in verse number 24. And the Bible says that he was astonished. It's not astonished. Astonied is a different word. It's actually a different English word. It means to be incredibly amazed. He was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king, the look on his face as he says to everybody in the area, Wait a minute, you were all here. Didn't we throw three men into that fire? Didn't we throw three men into that fire? And of course they say, True, O king, everybody else was burnt on the way over. Yep, three men were thrown into the fire. But in verse number 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. What a verse. You know, a little later when we get to the story, we're going to find out that when the boys come out of the fire, that turbans, the hats, that they were in good condition. Their outer coats, I mean, they weren't singed or burned. The undergarments, they were fine. 
In fact, when the boys went into the fire, not only were their hats and their coats and their garments fine, the Bible also tells us that their hair and their beards, not a hair was singed. So when they went in the fire, it didn't hurt their hair, it didn't hurt their beards, it didn't hurt their clothes, it didn't hurt their hats. Not one thing was burned in that fire. Well, that, of course, wouldn't be true. There was one thing. Do you see it in the verse we just read in verse number 25? He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. Yeah, there is one thing that burned up in that fire. Not the coats, not the uh, hats, not the undergarments, not the hair of their head, not the hair of their beards. But the one thing that did go were those ropes that bound their wrists. They went into the fire bound and that fire burned away the ropes, burned away the shackles, but that was the only thing they lost inside. What a moment in time. The king looks in and says, didn't we throw three men in? He said, well, I see four. And you say, well, who was the fourth? And this really becomes a problem if you're a seminary professor someplace. This really gets to be a difficulty. However, for those of us who believe the Bible, we don't have any problem with this because when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire in verse number 25, he said, the form of the fourth is like, and this really depends on which Bible you got tonight. (laughs) Oh, big time. Now, my Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, he said, look at yours, the fourth is like the Son of Man. He said, I'm looking into that fire. I'm sorry, the Son of God. I do have the right Bible here tonight. Just checking, just checking. Not really. He looks into the fire and says, there's four men, and the fourth is like the Son of God. Do you know the modern Bibles, and I use that word small b-i-b-l-e, just me. You know what they say? You better check yours tonight. Because when they look into the fire, well, the popular Bible that is the Bible of the World Council of Churches, they tell us that when he looked into the fire, he said, the fourth was like a son of the gods, small s. A very, very popular Bible called the Good News Bible becomes the Bad News Bible here because it says he looked in and he said the fourth is like an angel. Another very popular Bible on campuses and seminaries and Bible colleges all across America, they look in and he said there is a son of the gods. So my Bible tonight says that when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he saw the son of God. Modern Bibles tell us he looked in and he said, I see a son of the gods. I'm just going to guess that the Jehovah Witnesses would like that one a whole lot better. Well, which one is it? And here come our friends, the liberal seminary professors. And they come along and, you know, for the longest time I used to hammer on liberal preachers. There really are liberal preachers out there, but not as many as you think. I mean, if somebody really preaches with passion and they preach with fire, they believe what they're saying. But all the attacks against the word of God, do you know where they all come from? Almost every time, they come from liberal seminary professors. They come from seminary classrooms where the scholars, they sit there and they dissect the Bible and they criticize the Bible and they pat themselves on the back and call themselves higher critics. Brother, the last thing I would ever want to do is meet God as a critic of the Bible. And the experts are, this is where all these crazy ideas come from. We blame the preachers, but they're just parroting what the liberal cemetery professors have said. 
And so the liberal cemetery professor, they scoff at our Bible tonight. And they get so arrogant and so huffy and so puffy. And they say, well, how would a pagan like Nebuchadnezzar, how would he know what the son of God looked like? How would he know that? And there's an answer I'll get to in a minute. But I do have a question. How would he know what a son of the gods looks like? Now, if you stop and think about how can you have a son of multiple gods? You can't have you know, one son from multiple fathers. You know, there's only one father out there. It is impossible to have a son of the gods. Moreover, seeing as how there is no such thing as a son of the gods, why would the guy look into the fire and say, oh, there is a son of the gods? There is no reference to that. There is no picture of that. There is no example of that. There's absolutely no way that anyone in their deepest imaginations would ever come up with such a thing. But if that weren't enough, do you know what these people are saying? You know what the liberal seminary professors are saying? They're saying, all right, here are three boys who stood up and said, we are not going to honor your gods. We are not going to bow down to that 100-foot-tall idol of your god. We are not going to bow down when everybody else does no we are not going to worship your graven image we're not going to worship that god so what we're led to believe by the liberal cemetery professors is that when three boys stood up and said we are not going to honor your god that when they got thrown in the fire those gods rescued them how ridiculous is that i mean if you start playing a few games of logic here i don't know what that they think that is but i can tell you what what it can't be is a son of the gods there is no such thing well, how could he look into that fire and a pagan, unsaved, and you know he's still unsaved. I really think he got saved at the end of his life. I sure hope he did. How could a pagan, unsaved king look into that fire and know it was Jesus? You know the answer to that? Daniel told him. You know how I know that? I know that for a number of reasons. Because first, the last thing God tells us about Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 is that he spent his life turning people to righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean he spent his life going around saying, be a good boy and be a good girl and be a good mommy and be a good daddy. When you turn people to righteousness, you are turning them to the righteousness of Christ. You are telling them how to be saved. Because whether your name was Abraham, well, he believed in Christ and it was accounted to him for righteousness. No matter where you find yourself, Old Testament, New Testament, you and I tonight, the only way for a sinner like you or a sinner like me to be saved is to have the righteousness of Christ put on our account. You know that Daniel had a lot of personal meetings with Jesus in the book of Daniel? You know, we usually think about Daniel 1 through 6, and that's kind of where we stop, <laughs> Daniel 7 through 11. Daniel's with Jesus all the time. I mean, he meets him. He calls him the son of man. He sees the day when King Jesus accepts the kingdoms of this world. He knows Jesus intimately. He knows Jesus personally. And if you read it really carefully, when they threw Daniel into the den of lions, he was not there alone. You know who was with him? The angel of the Lord. Fifteen times the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament. Not the New, but the Old Testament. And it is always a human appearance of the Son of God. 
Daniel had a personal relationship with Jesus. He walked with him. He talked with him. He went to the fire with him. He knew of him. He listened to him. I, I mean, we're not talking about someone distant. We're not talking about theory. Daniel knew Jesus Christ as his best friend. And what we know about Daniel is that in back in chapter 2, he stands in front of Nebuchadnezzar and boldly preaches the gospel. We watch him stand in front of Belshazzar in 5, boldly preaching the gospel. We go to Daniel chapter 6 and an unsaved pagan like Darius knows that Daniel's God is singular, that Daniel's God is personal, and Daniel's God is alive. He confesses all those things. Pagans would never say that unless somebody explained it to them. You say, how could he look into that fire and know it was the Son of God? Because Daniel had told them all about the Son of God. And now the king looks into that burning, raging fire and he says, we threw three in, but there's four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. Oh, my friend, what a powerful day. What a powerful story. One more appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. One more time where the Lord Jesus comes and rescues his man. One more time where we see the wonderful Savior and his love and his grace. The fourth is like the Son of God. So there is a question, is there not, in the background of Daniel 3? And it's kind of just always hangs over the chapter. It's kind of like the third rail of Daniel. You're not supposed to touch there. You're not supposed to go there. But you can't avoid it because it's the big question that hangs over Daniel 3. And you and I tonight watch three boys say, I would rather go to the burning fiery furnace than to deny my God. We watch three boys stand before the emperor of the world and say, our God is big and great and he can deliver us out of thy hand. But even more so, if not, if we go into that fire and fry like bacon, we are not going to forsake our God and we're not going to worship your image. So we don't need a second chance. We got it right the first time. And here we are 2,500 years later and we give them a standing ovation, three great guys in the Bible, but there still hangs over Daniel 3 that question, does there not? So, where's Daniel? And, and maybe you've never thought much about this, but you know, the scholars, oh, they debate these kind of things. You know, where's Daniel? And you can read all kinds of things. One guy said, well, you know, Daniel, he was on, he was on a business trip. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know, Daniel, he was sick at the time, and he was back in the city of Babylon. He didn't go to the plains of Dura. Well, how do you know that? And people come up with all kinds of nonsense. However, I can stand here tonight, and without any question, without any doubt, without any if ands, couldas, wouldas, shouldas, or it could be better translated, I know the answer to the question, where was Daniel? I do. I know the answer. Where was Daniel? The answer is, I don't know. And the second half of that answer is, Brother Reno doesn't know. And the third part of it is that neither do you. And do you know how I know that I don't know? And do you know how I know that Brother Reno doesn't know? And do you know how I know that you don't know? Is because the Bible doesn't say so. Where was Daniel? I think we'd all certainly believe that Daniel would never bow the knee. If, if you're willing to die in chapter 1 because you won't eat the king's stuff, and, and if you're willing to die in chapter 2, and if you're willing to put your life on the line in chapter 4, and, and then again in chapter 5, and then again in chapter 6, I mean, Daniel's got a pretty good track record, so, so Daniel certainly wasn't there. And maybe that's the point, isn't it? Remember that story in Daniel 1? 
The boys have been kidnapped, and there's a multitude of them. We don't know the exact number. We just know the story of four. But multitudes had been carried, those who had royal blood throwing through their veins. And, and now they bring them into the land of Babylon. And, and, and if history is accurate, when somebody was carried away as a captive, you know, it's most likely they'd put a hook right through their cheeks, and that's how they led them along, kind of brutal. And when they got to Babylon, you know, these boys, and they're probably 13, 14, 15 years old, and, and they've got to be thinking, this is a disaster. You know, we've been kidnapped from home. We've been brought to this strange land. They've got to be thinking, we're going to be slave labor. And when the first thing that happens when they get to Babylon is, well, let's just put it like this. They're not going to have any children, and they're never going to get married. I got to tell you, those boys had to be thinking the worst. You fellas are going to meet in the committee room tomorrow and they're piling in there thinking this is it. We're going to be slave labor for the rest of our lives. But no, somebody stands up in front of them and says, boys, three things are going to happen to every one of you. Number one, you're going to get a free scholarship to the University of Babylon. You're going to learn science. You're going to learn history. You're also going to learn our religion and our language. Number two, not only do you get a free scholarship too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good night tonight. And number two, when you go to the university after that, the second thing we're due, we're going to get if your name change. We don't like your names. Your name's honor Jehovah and he's got nothing to do with us. So we're giving you brand new names. You get a free scholarship. You get a name change. And number three, you're going to get to eat from the king's table. I mean, the greatest chefs in the world are going to make your meals. They're going to have their version of Pastor Reno do the cooking every single day. And it's not just the greatest cooks and chefs in the world. You get to drink from the king's booze. And it's a fascinating thing. Because with that offer on the table, you get name changes. You get a free scholarship. You get to eat the baby back ribs and the lobster and the fried shrimp now. You get to eat from the greatest chefs in the world. Rising out of Daniel 1 are these words. But Daniel purposed in his heart. That word is critical for two great reasons. Reason number one is because it's a verb in the past tense. I don't want to turn this into an English class, but follow me tonight. When it says Daniel purposed, it does not say that when they come and say, you're going to eat this food and drink this wine, that Daniel starts thinking, what am I going to do now? He had already made up his mind. He had already purposed somewhere in the past. That's why it's so important to get your kids out to camp. That's why it's so important to get your teenagers around the word of God. Because when the peer pressure is not there and the friends aren't saying, go here, party here, drink this, dance this, do this, long before those things happen, that's the critical time for young people and teenagers to purpose in their hearts. I am deciding ahead of time that when the temptation comes, I don't have to decide on that day I've already decided today it is a past tense verb Daniel already decided but do you know the other significant thing Daniel purposed in his heart a past tense verb but it is also in what the Bible would call a singular verb so what do you mean it means that Daniel and Daniel alone purposed in his heart 
in Daniel chapter 1, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and perhaps hundreds of other princes have been taken away from Babylon. And now with hundreds of them, at least scores of them to be sure, they're in that room and now you're going to eat this food and you're going to drink this wine. Everybody else is going to do it. But there is one guy who says, I can't. Because I have already purposed long ago that if I have to stand all by myself, I will stand all by myself, but I will not eat that food because God's word says not to. And I will not drink that booze because God's word says not to. Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 purposed all by himself. If you read it very carefully, after Daniel singularly made his choice, I am purposed that I will not eat that and will not drink that. That is when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah came and stood with Daniel. And boy, they made the right decision back then, but it was Daniel's call. Daniel's the one who purposed, and the text tells us the three boys came along for the ride. That's a great thing. You know, kids, if you have a friend like Daniel, you've got a great friend. If you've got somebody who'll stand up in school and say, you know, I don't care what everybody else is doing, I'm not going to do it. I don't care if everybody on Friday nights, I don't care if everybody else uses profanity. I don't care if everybody else curses. I don't care if everybody uses God's name in vain. I don't. I don't go there. I don't do that. I don't drink that. I don't say that. I don't party like that. I don't act like that. I treat my parents differently. If you've got a friend like that, you've got a great thing. And to have an example in front of you like these boys did, because everybody else is caving in, and everybody else is compromising but one old Daniel stood up and said I've got purpose I have already decided that I cannot eat that food and I cannot drink that booze and when one guy had the courage of his convictions to stand up three boys come along and say you're not alone you know, that's what happens when somebody stands up on a job for Jesus. When somebody says, I belong to Christ, I cannot use his name in vain. I, I'm sorry, boss, I'll be the best worker you have, but I cannot lie to protect you. I cannot. I, I, I'm sorry, but I cannot cheat. I cannot steal. I cannot lie. I belong to Jesus. I cannot because I am saved. And when one man stands up on the job, when one lady stands up in the neighborhood, when one young guy stands up, young lady stands up in school, it's amazing how all of a sudden people like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. So in Daniel chapter 1, all by his lonesome, Daniel purposed in his heart, and here comes Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah right along. Let's see what they're going to do. So now we get to Daniel chapter 3. Where's Daniel? God didn't want him there. Because now three boys aren't going to be able to follow the coattails of Daniel. Three boys are going to have to find out, are these my convictions or are they Daniel's convictions? Three boys are going to have to decide, do I do the right thing or do I not do the right thing? There is no Daniel to hide behind. There is no Daniel to tell me what to do. Either I will get it right without Daniel or I'll get it wrong. But in Daniel chapter 3, God comes and says, okay, fellas. Now there is no Daniel, what are you going to do? And as Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself in chapter 1, Hananiah purposed in his heart that he would not bow down to a graven image. Mishael purposed in his heart. Azariah purposed in his heart. Three young men are men of purpose. And now in Daniel chapter 3, they say, Daniel may not be here, but the God of Daniel is here. And what do you know by the time we get to the end of the chapter, three boys have learned, 
I can do what's right with or without a Daniel. Hey, to young people here, listen to me carefully tonight because one day, one day you're going to graduate from school and one day you're going to come to the last Sunday morning and the last Sunday night at Berean Baptist Church as a student. You'll walk out of here, you'll go to your graduation, walk across the stage, get your diploma. And for a lot of people who've grown up in churches just like yours, that's when everything changes. And the reason is because you can grow up with mommy's convictions and daddy's convictions. The reason is because Pastor Reno can make choices for you. And you grow up in a church and and you know you can't defy your dad and you don't even want to defy your mom. and, And you know you really can't give your pastor a hard time. So on the outside you learn how to conform. On the outside you learn how to say yes sir, yes ma'am. On the outside you learn I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't talk like this. You learn how to do everything on the outside But tonight, just because the outside is right doesn't mean it's right down here. And one day, just like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you're going to get your chance. There's going to be no Pastor Reno looking over your shoulder, and Mommy's not going to be there, and Daddy's not going to be there, and and you're going to find out what you're really made of. And I wonder if those boys didn't have some thoughts and some questions. What would we do? If it weren't for Daniel, what would we have done? If it weren't for Daniel, we would have taken that booze. If it weren't for Daniel, we would have eaten that food. We would have violated the Bible. Uh, how many times do you think they must have followed the Daniel? You know, what would Daniel do? And, and I wonder how many times that went through their minds. Now all of a sudden, here they are dragged to the plains of Dura. And they are looking up, and it's not like there's a question here at a nearly 100 foot tall pagan molten image it is not what is daniel going to do because he's not here what are you going to do in 1892 a 24 year old pharmacist named charles mile gave up a promising career to serve the lord he had it going, he was doing real well, well-educated, good business, but he, he sold it all out because he wanted to serve the Lord. And, and yet for Charles Miles, God did not call him to be a preacher and God did not send him as a missionary to start churches in a distant land, but, but God used him as a songwriter. Here we are a, a hundred plus years later and we, we still sing many of his 397 songs, some of them your favorites. Songs like A New Name Written Down in Glory and Dwelling in Beulah Land, uh, In the Garden, The Good Old Gospel Train. He wrote some songs that have stood the test of time. But you know, of all the songs that he wrote, perhaps his favorite was one that went like this. It may be in the valley where countless dangers hide. It may be in the sunshine that I in peace abide. But this one thing I know, if it be dark or fair, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. I may, it must, maybe I must carry the blessed word of life across the burning deserts to those in sinful strife. And though it be my lot to bear my colors there, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. But if it be my portion to bear the cross at home, while others bear their burdens beyond the billow's foam, I'll prove my faith in him, confess his judgments fair. If Jesus stays with me, I'll stay anywhere. It is not mine to question the judgment of the Lord. It is but mine to follow the leading of his word. But if I go or stay or whether here or there, I'll be with my Savior content anywhere. And then he wrote the chorus. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me. Where'er I may be if he is there, I count it a privilege here to bear his cross. 
If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. See, that's the whole story. Because in Daniel chapter 1, three boys with wide eyes say, look at Daniel. Look at his convictions. That guy's right. And he's not going to be alone. I'm standing with Daniel. But you can't stand with Daniel in Daniel chapter 3. These guys are either real or they're not. And so old Nebuchadnezzar walks over and he opens up the door and he takes a look inside. <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in there? Well, there's four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. And I can't help but wonder when those boys came out of that burning, fiery furnace with their hat on their head, their coats on their outside, the undergarments flying, with not a hair of their beard, not a hair of their head singed, I wonder if they didn't walk out of the fire singing, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. See, Daniel 3 is in the Bible to tell us, if Jesus goes with me, who needs Daniel? All we need is him. See your Savior tonight. I got to tell you, to be in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace and have Jesus there, what a comfort. But you know, the Bible tells us that when a sinner dies without Jesus Christ, it is not a burning, fiery furnace. It is much worse. It is the torture and the torments of an eternal hell. The Bible tells us that the eternal hell is a lake of fire that burns with brimstone. And yet the Bible tells us that just as three boys were rescued by Jesus, you and I never have to have a hair of our heads singed by the fires of hell. Why, the Bible tells us that a man, a woman, a boy or girl can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Without Jesus tonight, a man a woman, a young person, is one breath away from the fires of the lake of fire in eternal hell. And yet the Lord Jesus paid the price on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And now the Lord Jesus stretches out his arms and says, I want to be your savior. He can rescue you from hell tonight. Pastor Reno would love to have somebody sit down with a Bible and show you how to be saved. You know, Christ is your Savior tonight. Well, you and I have been duly challenged by three men. Three men that were willing to say we will die for Christ. But what they discovered in the fire is that they don't need Daniel so long as they have Jesus. And if Jesus could take care of three boys in the fire, then he can take care of you and me no matter what happens tomorrow. We can trust him with our soul. We can trust him with our life. We can come walking out of the furnace saying, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for the testimony of those three men willing to stand up for Jesus Christ. And Father, in the midst of the fire, you didn't keep them from the fire, but in the midst.